to be back tonight, and again, good to have our visitors, and uh, of course, if you're here tonight, and uh, the preacher said from the area, maybe you don't have a church, maybe you do, but we'd like to invite you back, and of course, uh, appreciate you being here, and also good to see uh, the Largents here. We've had the privilege of knowing them for a long, long time, and uh, Brother John just had another birthday this week, and uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, I told him a while ago, I said, man, Miss Pam and I are now great-grandparents, so we are really, really moving on up in age, but anyway, it's such a joy to see you and had the privilege of having them, uh, of course, there in Benton in the Bible College, and uh, man, it's been a day or two ago, and uh, boy, I tell you, time gets by, it really does. I used to hear people say that when I was young, and I, they'd say, oh, time just goes by so quickly, and I'm thinking, you're not in algebra, because man, it doesn't go that fast in here, it seems like I'd never get out of high school. I can remember as a young man hearing preachers preach, I grew up in church, and many of you know my testimony, got saved at the age of 12 called to preach the same week and started preaching a month later and been preaching ever since. But uh, I can remember a lot of prophecy conferences that I went to when I was a teenager, and I enjoyed them. I remember the first time I got asked to preach at a prophecy conference. Brother Harold Boyd uh, was, of course, one of the uh, ones that was putting it on through a church uh, north of here, and he had several speakers, and uh, he had J. Oscar Wells, he had my dad, I believe, um, I can't remember who else was involved, and of course, Brother Boyd was preaching, and he asked me, and I think I was maybe, maybe just either had or about to turn 19, and I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing in a prophecy conference? I believe Jesus is coming again, but you've got to understand, uh, these guys are going to cover some pretty interesting and I think challenging subjects, and I was just, and he said, we'll assign you a subject, and I'm thinking, oh no, they're going to give me the statue in Daniel. And I'll have to explain all those different levels and the, you know, the dirt under the toenails. And I had no idea uh, exactly what all it was going to entail. Thankfully, my, I was to speak twice, and one of the messages was on the rapture, and that's pretty easy. Jesus was coming again, and so I could uh, handle that. And then the other one was uh, likewise. I think they looked and said, you know, this guy's pretty simple. Let's have some grace on him. But I remember when I was in high school, and I, I believed it. I was excited about it. Jesus is coming again. But I think to myself, well, I'd sure like to, sure like to get my driver's license before he comes. Man, I just can't wait to drive a vehicle. Can I tell you, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Uh, Miss Graham and I travel all the time, and I do enjoy it. I really do. But uh, I don't think I love uh, driving quite like I thought I would when I was a teenager. Uh, but I'll tell you, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. Then I got that, and I said, well, Lord, I, I want you to come back again, but I sure would like to finish high school. And if I could just graduate from high school, Lord, then you could come. And then, of course, got out of high school, and then I'm thinking, Lord, I'd sure like to get married. Now, my principal, I went to Christian school one year, and he said that he was praying, Lord, don't come back till I get married. He said he got married and started praying, even so, come Lord Jesus. And uh, that's not my testimony, that was his. But uh, then, of course, you know, the excitement of being a parent, and uh, God gives you children, and boy, you rejoice in that, and then, of course, grandchildren. And uh, what a blessing that is. And many of you are grandparents and probably great-grandparents. And that's where Miss Graham and I are at, have our first great-grandbaby. And the second one coming uh, probably next month is what they're saying, or sometime in the middle of next month. And all that being said, it's just, uh, you know, God designed us to want to live until it's time for it to end. And I believe that with all my heart. And I'm not preaching about this tonight, but I will say this. Don't take it upon yourself to end your own life. That's not the will of God. God wants you to live. He puts something inside of all of us that 
uh, wants to live until it's time for us to go. And I'm thankful for that because God knows what he's doing. And you might think, well, preacher, you have no idea where I'm at in life. Can I just remind you, and this isn't a message tonight, but uh, there is a better day coming for the child of God. But there's a better day coming, dear friend, uh, for you to rethink it. I was in my office one day, and one of the men of our church had gone to make a visit, knocked on the door, and the man, after a little while, came to the door. And the guy from our church asked him, said, hey, I just stopped by to you know, invite you back to church, and he said, what was you doing? He said, you want the truth? He said, yeah. He said, I was just getting ready to blow my brains out. And you knocked on the door. He said, I was going to end my life. And he said, I thought, who in the world has knocked on my door? And if they hear the gunshot, and so anyway, he said, I answered the door, but I still plan on ending my life whenever you leave. And he said, well, begin to talk to him. He said, look, I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved. I know God loves me, but what can you tell me that will change my mind? He said, well, I don't know what I could tell you, but would you do me a favor? Would you go see my pastor? I think he could help you. And he said, if you go see my preacher, and uh, then after talking to him, if you decide you still want to end your life, that'll be your business, but would you at least? He said, well, if you think it'll help, I'll go see your preacher. He came to my office, and we sat down. He began to tell me what was going on in his life, and I'm telling you, he had some real heartache. It wasn't just, you know, uh, the normal things that you hear. Somebody's having a bad hair day. I mean, he has really got some things going on. I mean, everything seems to be upside down in his life. And he looked at me and said, Preacher, I know Jesus loves me. But what can you say to make a difference in my life? I said, well, I, I believe that Jesus does love you. But so do I. And I said, if you go home and take your life, I'm going to spend the rest of my life wondering what I could have done to make a difference in your life. So I want to ask you to give me 48 hours to pray that God will make a difference in your life. Could you wait 48 hours? He said, okay, I'll do that. Two days later, he called me and said, Preacher, you're not going to believe what happened. I thought my world was over. And he began to tell me how God had opened the door for him to get a better job than he had and God was going to turn things around in his life, and had a family member reached out to him and, and said, look, uh, here's what I can do to help you. And one thing led to another, and he said, you know, preacher, I'm going to hang on another day. And can I tell you something? He's still living. He's still moving on. And I thank God. Listen, dear friend, don't ever think that's the answer. People say, well, it's my life, and that's, I'm the only person. No, 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 no. You'll leave behind people that will be asking the question forever, why? What could I have done? Your life is worth living. Now, I'll tell you, if you don't know the Lord, you need to get that settled right away. But if you're saved, listen, friend, let me encourage you to realize the best is yet to come. And even though I'm getting older and the aches and pains come with age, I know some of you are thinking, man, I'm older and I don't hurt at all. Well, I admire you. I'm going to have you sign my Bible after a while. But I'll tell you, the older I get, the more I feel the age that is upon me. But can I hasten to say this? Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. What a joy it is to serve. And Mr. Graham and I went over this uh, today and visited her uncle. And uh, he's in an assisted living, and we communicate with him. And I, he and I often text each other or communicate or call each other. And sometimes he'll call me when I'm on the road, or he'll ask me if it's a good time. And so sometimes I'll ask him if it's a good time, and we'll chat and, and uh, just try to be an encouragement to him. And uh, so we got to go fellowship with him today a little bit, and I've known him since I was seven. And uh, he will, I think, be 82 his next birthday. And, uh, 
and in pretty good health. I'm telling you, he's getting around pretty good. I was a little bit jealous how good he was walking today. But anyway, we had a good visit and, you know, of course, just enjoyed a little time with him of encouragement. But I want to tell you, folks, we need the Lord and we need each other. And it's a, it's a blessing if we can be an encouragement. Turn to Matthew chapter 20, if you will. Matthew chapter 20. I want to get right into the message tonight. Matthew chapter 20. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 1. You'll understand there could be a lot of sermons preached out of the verses I'm going to read tonight. But I'm going to give you what God's laid upon my heart tonight from this passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 20. Begin reading in verse number 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now I want to stop and say this. When he's going out to hire laborers and they hire on for a penny a day, that doesn't sound like much, but this was a day's wages in that time that they were given. And you can study it out and find out. You remember when they had the ointment and said it could have been sold for 300 pence. They were talking about a year's wages. That's how valuable it was. And so these men are hiring on at the beginning of the day uh, to work the 12-hour day. That was very common in Bible days. It's interesting to think about this. As I said, I've been to Israel many times, and, and uh, they still have that practice of day laborers. You'll see uh, there's a few areas that I've seen where people are there and I've had our guides say, these are men that have come looking for work, and they'll be there early in the morning, and sometimes maybe people that have vineyards over there will hire them to come work a day, and uh, maybe they'll get on for several days, but they'll come in the morning, and some may be in construction, or maybe they need some other help, and it's still a common practice. Uh, it's kind of interesting, but that we see the uh, day laborers that are here, and they come, the Bible said, at the very uh, beginning of the day, and the Bible said, and he went out about the third hour, and uh, saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Now, this is 9 o'clock in the morning. And uh, he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. And again, he went out about the sixth hour, or 12 o'clock noon. And, and then the ninth hour, he goes out at 3 o'clock, and, and he does likewise. And then about the eleventh hour, 5 o'clock in the evening, uh, he went out and uh, found others standing idle and said, uh, saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? The Bible said, they say, unto, they say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. Now looking at this passage of Scripture, there is a great uh, message to be given. I'm not going to deal with that tonight about uh, how that the ones that went at the very first hour agreed on what they would accept for pay. The others were told he would just, uh, you know, take care of them. And when the day's over, whether they worked just the 11th hour the entire day, they all received a full day's wages. And, of course, the ones that uh, worked all day, they weren't happy about it. And, you know, it's interesting. They were very happy when they first hired on until they found out that, you know, they thought, well, man, if he's given these guys that worked one hour a full day's pay, what do you think he's going to give us? And they were upset. And that's not what I want to deal with tonight, but it is an interesting study there that uh, certainly is worth our time. But tonight I want to look at it like this, if you would please, uh, and we'll give you an introduction and get right to the thought of the message on why should we work in the 11th hour. You know, since I was a little kid, I've been hearing that Jesus was coming again. And I still believe that. 
Since I was a child, I've been hearing about things that would happen, and certainly many things have happened, at least we would say that would make us think, wow, uh, this thing is uh, really possible. And I understand, listen, God's timing is not something that we get to predict. It's not something, you know, if you hear somebody tell you, I know exactly what day Jesus is coming again, you just mark it down. They don't know what day Jesus is coming again. The Bible said, no man knoweth the hour. And that's not what I'm trying to say tonight. But I do believe that we are certainly in the last days and we're seeing a lot of things. But, you know, we've been convinced by many and told by many, well, you know, this world is so bad and it's so mixed up and, man, there's so much wickedness in our world that there's not any reason to even try. And yet here these men come in the 11th hour of the workday with only an hour left and they hire in and begin to work in the field. But by way of introduction, notice first of all the Lord of the harvest. The Bible calls him the householder. In other words, he's the man that owns the vineyard and he's the man who's going to send laborers into the field. And I would just remind you that our uh, Lord is, of course, uh, over the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. The Bible called it His harvest. You know how exciting it is to serve the Lord? And yet I want to remind you, dear friend, we don't get to take credit for it. We don't get to say, well, look what I've done. Listen, the reality is if anything gets done, we have to say to God be the glory great things He hath done. We need to magnify Him and exalt Him and lift Him up. He is the Lord of the harvest and we understand the field is the world, but it's His field. When I went to Benton, our church is out in the country. I pastored there for 33 years and we're not right in town in Benton and, and of course we're the next little community is called Haskell and uh, so uh, we're kind of in between those, closer to Haskell than we are downtown Benton, but in that area there and and uh, I remember one day a preacher called me and, and uh, he said, Pastor Graham, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. He said, stay out of my vineyard. I said, do what? He said, some of your people are knocking on doors in Haskell and I know you are too. And he said, that, that's my field. Stay out of it. And I said, okay, well, where's our field? I mean, he said, well, go to Benton. I said, well, we are going to Benton and we're going to Haskell and we're going to Saline County. We're going everywhere that sinners are trying to tell them the good news of salvation. And I said to him, sir, have, have we been stealing sheep from your church? He said, no, but you know, I run into people that tell me you've knocked on their door. I said, oh, when you're out on visitation? He said, well, no, I, we don't go on visitation. I said, then I don't think we're really hurting your field. The truth of the matter is the field is the world. Did you know there's not any wrong person to witness to? There, I said, there's no wrong person to witness to. Now, I think we need to be sensitive. I think we need the Holy Spirit's leadership. And I want to tell you something, friend. If you get the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, it's okay. I told him, I said, look, right across the road from our church at that time, we had a neighbor that, I'll tell you, was a very challenging situation. Brother uh, John, you might remember that big house across the road from our church. And, man, they had signs, no trespassing. And one time our, our caretaker uh, found a beautiful dog, and it was obviously a, a you know, really, uh, you know, hybrid type of animal, but it wandered over to the church, and he said, well, you know, that's the only house around, so I bet it's their dog, and so he picked up the dog and went over, and of course, their house set back off the road, and he knocked on the door to see if it was their dog and was met with a gun, and the lady said, can't you read? It says no trespassing. He said, I'm sorry. This dog had come over to the church, and I thought it might have been yours, and she said, I'm telling you, sir, I'm going to count to three. If you're not off our property, I'm going to shoot you. So he said, I left. But anyway, I'm not sure whatever happened to that dog, but I know this. My brother-in-law was working as our caretaker at that time, and 
he fled for his life. But the reality is, dear friend, uh, I said to the man, look, if you can reach our neighbor across the street, I won't be offended. They really need the Lord. And uh, the truth of the matter is, it was not until their house caught on fire and they escaped with just their lives and came across and it happened that two of our men were at the church and of course they got them into shelter and got them into the church and, and tried to help meet their needs and offered to get them a place to stay that night. And all of a sudden we were once their enemy. Now we were their friends because we helped them in an hour of crisis. But I'm telling you, dear friend, uh, everywhere we go, there's people that need the Lord. We see the Lord the harvest. We see the labors in the harvest. They're sent to work in the vineyard. Those who were to labor uh, the Bible said, in the vineyard. And let me say this, those who labor among the vines must be careful about their walk. Folks, listen. If we're going to make a difference in the world, we need to be different from the world. Christianity is not just something we put on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. It should be every day of our life that we live a life that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. I recognize and understand none of us are perfect, and I understand that we all sin and come short of the glory of God. But I'm telling you without a doubt, uh, as we labor among the vineyard, we must be very careful about our walk so that we don't uh, hinder God working in someone's life. There's a song, and I love the words of the song, but it says this, uh, in my corner of the field. Lord, don't let me bruise one. I pray I won't lose one. Many a time... We have wept over people that needed the Lord and wondered what else we could say. But without a doubt, if we can leave them, friend, with, a, uh, with the Word of God, a gospel track, whatever it might take for them maybe to be awakened to their need to have Christ as their Savior, the labor is in the harvest. If you're saved tonight, there's still a work that you can do. My mother came to live with us. My mom and dad, uh, dad of course, had uh, Alzheimer's, and my mother had cancer in 1989, it came back in 91, and they moved down to Benton so that we could look after them, and dad passed away in 2000, mom lived on to 2013. The surgery that my mother had completely changed her life, it affected her speech, she had a radical head and neck surgery, it took them over 13 hours to uh, perform the surgery, removing the cancer, then reconstructing what they could, took part of her jawbone, took part of her tongue, it was a very challenging spent the rest of her life struggling to eat one day I was with my mom at the doctor and he said Mr. Graham you've got to gain weight whatever you can do to gain weight you've got to get your weight we need to get you up to at least a hundred pounds and and uh, you know if drinking milkshakes would do it drink all the milkshakes that you can but you've got to gain weight we left the doctor's office I said mom you're living my dream I just one time I want to go to the doctor and have him say you know here's the problem son you need to put on a little bit of weight. I, I tell my doctor all the time, if I had a chainsaw cut on my arm, he'd tell me, well, you need to lose weight. I'd say, yeah, but could we go ahead and stitch it up first anyway? And, and uh, you know, we'd banter back and forth about it. But I told mom, I said, you're living my dream. You, you get to go home and drink all the milkshakes you want. I said, man, that would be exciting. And my mom just smiled and said, honey, that'll never happen to you. But anyway, I, I appreciate her spirit. She had a good sense of humor. But my mother said, you know, people don't always understand me. But what I can do is I can help other ladies learn how to be a witness and talk to people about the Lord. And she spent much of her time teaching and training ladies in our church to be a witness for Christ. And they knocked on a door one time. And, and uh, man, I'll tell you, the young man, or the couple that lived there, the lady I told my mom, well, I'm, I'm saved. I'm just kind of away from the Lord. And they were talking. Well, his, her nephew had come to stay with them. And he lived in, uh, from New York City. And he spoke up and said, hey, 
I've never been saved. I'm interested. So my mother said, well, let me ask the lady here to explain it to you. They sat down, went through the scriptures. He trusted Christ as his Savior. And I don't say this to be negative or critical, but, you know, when I met him, he looked like he'd come off the streets of New York City. He looked pretty rough, and you could tell he'd had a, a background. And, man, all of a sudden he'd come to church and, and uh, made public his profession of faith and followed the Lord and believers' baptism. He started sitting with our Bible college students, and, man, it wasn't long. I'm telling you, so many changes in his life. And he said, hey, preacher, I was wondering if I could join the choir. I said, absolutely. Man, you've been faithful. Come on, Gene, uh, join the choir. Somebody said, could he sing? I said, I don't know. That's the choir director's problem. Come on. A faithful member of the choir. And then one day he said, could I sing a special in church? And uh, he said, I've got a few college students that are going to help me. And so he sang on a Wednesday night. And he sang Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, Saved a Wretch Like Me, sang the first verse by himself. Man, I looked out and there's my mother and her soul winning partner just weeping, so excited. Here's a young man that had given his heart and life to Jesus Christ. There's a work to be done. But then notice thirdly, the lessons in the harvest. God is ever recruiting workers, but he alone determines the reward. You know, it doesn't matter. Somebody says, well, I've worked so hard and nobody notices it. Can I tell you something? God notices Whatever you do for Christ, can I tell you something? It will not go unnoticed by the Lord. You may, if you're not careful, get upset that nobody noticed what you've been doing. But could I just remind you, we're not doing it just for each other. We're doing it for Him. And when we labor in His field, what a blessing He's promised to give. But then notice the late hour of the harvest. He said the 11th hour, there was still work to be. Only an hour left according to their work day, and yet there was much to be done. And could I just remind you, dear friend, we've still got a world that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. We still need uh, to get Christ known to our society. We're living in a day and age when people are living in such an untoward way to the things of God, and we need to, in love and compassion, tell them about Jesus Christ. The Bible said on some Having compassion, making a difference. man stood in our church recently giving his testimony. I remember the first time he ever came to our church. His wife worked at the hospital with one of the men in our church, and she had said to that man, you know, she knew there was something different about him, and, and uh, she had been saved as a girl but had gotten out of church. And, and uh, she said, you know, my husband I've been talking about Maybe you could come to our house and have a Bible study. He said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you come Sunday as my guest to church? I teach a Sunday school class for young married couples. You and your husband can come and, and be in our class. We'd love to have you. And then you could hear our preacher preach. And I'll tell you what, if you and your husband will come, then after church you all can come over and we'll have lunch at my house. And so she talked to her husband. He said, let's do that. So they came to church, attended that Sunday school class. Brother Tim Childers began to tell a a story about a man that got saved in a church where he was at many years ago. And he said, this guy, before he was saved, he drove a beer truck. But he got saved, and God changed his life. And there was more involved in his life than that. And So anyway, uh, they, they, TJ and his wife, May, went to the house after the services and sat down and had a great meal together. And when the meal was over, Brother Tim began to talk to TJ. And he said, TJ, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit and trying to get acquainted. He said, uh, by the way, what do you do for a living? He said, I drive a beer truck. He said, oh. In his heart, he said, I thought, I wish I didn't give that illustration today. And he said, but I'm very interested in getting saved. And Brother Tim got to lead him to the Lord. And he and his wife walked the aisle. She rededicated her life to the Lord. Been faithful and active in our church for years. 
say, what's he doing now? He drives the milk truck. <laughs> but anyway, and uh, the funny thing about it is he drove the milk truck now kind of a supervisor position there for the company. But I'll tell you, God's blessed them in such a marvelous way. And I remember how that God worked in their life to make such a difference in their heart and life. And let me tell you something, dear friend. We need to keep laboring. Even if the world is upside down, there's still people out there like Tim, uh, like, like TJ and, and May. There's still people out there like Eugene that are just waiting for somebody to tell them, hey, there's hope in Jesus Christ and you can be a blessing to their lives. So why should we work in the 11th hour? Let me say, first of all, because of the plea of the master. The master of this harvest came by and said, why stand ye here all the day idle? And they said, well, no man's asked us to work. And he said, well, let me invite you into the work. Can I tell you something? Our master is pleading for us. He said this, the field and the harvest, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. We see the plea of the master. You know, I remember what Jesus did for me when he saved me. So, Brother Graham, you were saved at the age of 12, so, you know, it's not like somebody getting saved out of some deep criminal life or some drunkard's life. Or Can I tell you something? The grace of God saving any sinner is a miracle. And the fact that God loved me and saved me, I have a debt to pay that is not to earn my salvation, but to let other people in on the good news of salvation. If I had the cure tonight to cancer, and by the way, how I wished I did, I don't know about you, but I'm so tired of having loved ones and friends succumb to cancer and watch them battle through cancer, many other diseases that are out there. And uh, certainly you have heard me mention our oldest son has had battles with cancer. and Well, we've uh, prayed diligently for him. If I had the cure, don't you think, friend, I'd do everything I could to get it to him as quickly as I could? And wouldn't you think me very selfish if I knew how to cure cancer and I wouldn't share it with anybody? You'd say, man, that's terrible, preacher. But I know the way to heaven. Not by joining a church, and I'm for being a church member. Not by getting in the waters of baptism, I'm for following the Lord in baptism. It's not by doing good works, and I'm certainly not against good works, but can I tell you, the way to heaven is through Christ alone. Through, as the preacher said, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, He went to paid our sin debt. He died, was buried, and He rose again. That is, you say, preacher, that's too simple. No, that is the Bible answer. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me, the plea of the Master, but also because of the potential of the harvest. You know, you never know who you're going to reach in the 11th hour. Not only the 11th hour of timing as far as Jesus coming, how about the 11th hour of somebody's life? One of the men at church came to me one day, Brother Rex Pelton, he said, Preacher, my dad is in the hospital and they don't expect him to live. And he said, you know, dad's not saved and I would certainly had witnessed to his dad in the past. And I was wondering if you'd go see him. I said, I'll go today. I went up there, it was a Sunday afternoon, I went up there and he was not conscious and so I'm trying to talk to him, hoping that he can hear me, but uh, they told me they were going to move him to hospice the next day. I went to the hospice facility and to my amazement and to Rex's amazement, he was awake. He was alert. I began to speak to him. I said, Mr. Pelton, uh, I came by to see you yesterday when you were still at the hospital. I don't know if you uh, remember that. He said, no, Pastor, I, I don't remember it. I said, man, you were out. And I said, I was uh, pleading with you about your uh, spiritual condition. And I said, if you uh, would answer a question for me, you know, are you prepared for eternity? And he said, I'm not. He said, if I die... 
I'm going to hell. I said, is that what you want to do? He said, oh, no. He said, preacher, I know I've put it off too long. But he said, I really would like to get saved. I said, would you let me open the scriptures? He said, please do. I sat down with him, took the word of God, had the privilege of leading him to Christ. That was on Monday. I, I went to preach somewhere Monday night, and his uh, brother Rex called me. He said, preacher, you just can't believe what's going on. He said, all the family's been coming in. I mean, the nephews, nieces, you know, brothers, sisters, all the family's been coming in. And said, all dad can do is tell them what Jesus did for him. Tell him how he got saved. In fact, as he made the statement Monday night, he said, I feel so good, I may get out of here. This is great. I didn't think I'd ever get to feeling this good. He said, man, and they said he was so alert and excited, and by the next day, he slipped out into eternity. And I was grateful when I stood and preached his funeral that I could remind them about Sunday or Monday afternoon when he called on the Lord and asked him to save him. You talk about the 11th hour of his life. And you say, preacher, you think someone gets saved on their deathbed? Oh, I do. But listen, don't wait that long. Don't wait till the end of your life. Do it while you're young. Do it the first opportunity you have. Because of the potential harvest, you never know. And then let me say, because of the, uh, the proximity of time. Uh, you don't always know when it's the 11th hour. You know, we get the idea that we're all guaranteed a certain amount of life. You know, the Bible talks about the average of 70 to 80. But not everybody gets that. A lot of people have gone out. You know, I don't know what middle age is because I don't know how long a person's going to live. I told you the other night, my sister was killed in a car wreck at the age of 22. And I want to tell you something, that's awful young in my opinion. 22 is very, very young. And, and uh, my brother at 16 went home to be with the Lord. I, I'm just simply saying sometimes the tragedies that come, sometimes people get disease and, and we don't know how long they're going to live. And I just would remind you, dear friend, you never know when someone's in the 11th hour of their life. You never know when you're in your 11th hour of life. So now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation if you're not saved. But it's also the day for us to get about our Father's business. You got that person that you're burdened about, concerned for their soul? So one of these days I'm going to talk to them. Listen, hey, this would be a good day. So I can't do it tonight. Well, how about tomorrow? Friend, I'm telling you, souls are dying. Men are crying. We've got to bring them to the cross. And then because there's a promise of an accounting day. You know, these men were called in at the end of the day, and God said, all right, or the Lord of the harvest said, all right, I'm going to pay you. One of these days, we're going to stand before God. We're going to give an account. And I don't know about you. Listen, I don't want to waste my time. I want to serve the one who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to introduce people to him. You say, well, Brother Graham, listen, you can... Get to, you know, there's so many people debating today over how to witness till we've gotten to the point we're afraid to witness. And I'm not attacking anybody, but I'm telling you, just tell them what Jesus did for you. Tell them how you got saved. I remember when I got saved, we came home from the camp meeting where I was at. You know, this is back in 1970, so we didn't have cell phones, and at least I didn't. And, uh, you know, came home, and of course, my mother didn't get to go to the camp meeting, so I ran in and told her she was the first person. Uh, at the house, of course, my dad was there when I got saved, and some of my siblings, and, well, I told my mom how I'd got saved. And uh, right after that, I ran out in the backyard and found my best friend who lived just a caddy corner behind us and went and found him, and I said, hey, Kevin, i got to tell you something. He said, what? I said, I got saved this week. He said, what does that mean? I said, I'm fixing to tell you. Well, I began to share with Kevin everything I knew about getting saved. And, man, I had the privilege of leading Kevin to Christ. My, okay, you're talking about exciting was so funny, Kevin's mother, years later, I was preaching my wife's 
aunt's funeral. And uh, she came to the funeral. And I didn't even, you know, realize she was there till afterwards. She came up and said, you know, I've been trying to work it out to come hear you preach when you've been back in Illinois. And uh, she said, so I saw in the paper you were doing this funeral. So I thought, I'll go hear him preach. A strange place to show up. But anyway, and she could have come to church, but she told me I'd seen you were preaching in church one time, but I was taking care of my mother and I couldn't come. But I said, I'm going to go hear him at this funeral. And she said to me, I don't know what you did to my son. She said, but when he turned 18 and moved out of the house, this is the way she put it. She said, he went Baptist, never turned back. And I said, well, I didn't make a Baptist out of him, but i tell you what I did. I shared the gospel with her and told her, this is what God did in your son's life, gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And she said, well, I knew something happened because that's not the way he was raised. Can I tell you something, dear friend? What a difference we can make one of these days. They'll, you know, I think this, the songwriter said it well, one of these days when we see him, we're going to wish we'd given him more. And I don't know about you, but I want to try to make a difference because one of these days I'm going to stand before him. Let me say lastly, because of how precious the harvest is. I know I'm in farming community, and I know that uh, farming is really spelled work. And the labor, and preparing the soil, and planting the seed, and then, of course, all that goes through and the prayers that go up for the, the weather and the, and the, and the uh, rain and all those things that go into it until finally the harvest comes, how precious that is in a, in a sensual sense. I'm talking about, you know, corn and soybeans and things like that in, in a uh, term of physical food. But, oh, listen, the harvest of souls, it's so much more precious. There's nothing to me more exciting than hearing about somebody giving their heart and life to Jesus Christ. I got a text from my brother-in-law, and he was excited. They had, had a man saved at their church Sunday. Got a text from another preacher friend of mine was preaching somewhere and sharing that they had somebody walk the aisle and got saved Sunday. Uh, I was excited, as I told you, uh, two young people that followed the Lord in Believer's Baptism Sunday uh, at our church, and I'm just telling you, without a doubt, it's exciting when people come to know the Lord, and the harvest is precious. Souls are dying. Men are crying. Won't we bring them to the cross? Now, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you need to give your heart to Christ. So, preacher, you, you don't know how difficult that would be. You don't know how easy it would be. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Can I tell you, God loves you tonight. That's why He sent Christ to die on the cross. If you're not saved, you can come to Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you can be birthed into the family of God. A man came to Jesus by night and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And He said, You must be born again. And He said, Well, you mean get in my mother? No, no, He said, you need a spiritual birth. And can I tell you something? Everybody needs to have that spiritual birth. You must be born again. Then if you're saved tonight, there's still a harvest to be reaped. There's still souls that need the Lord. We need to be about our Father's business, sharing the good news of salvation. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our heads are